So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure your photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast with ben hartley where you get the positive energy you need to help you grow your business your relationships and your mindset if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog post visit sixfigurephotography.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. My name is Ben Hartley, your faithful host. Thank you so much for listeners, podcast listeners. Honestly, thank you for tuning in. Look, if you're on your drive to work, from work, maybe you're out walking the dog, I just want you to know that I'm so grateful that you care, that you care about spending time uh, learning and growing your business, growing yourselves. I, I think it's incredible. Uh, look, you guys, uh, I want to throw a quick little invitation out there. The podcast is so fun. I absolutely love it. I love that you guys get to listen and learn. I would love to uh, to invite you guys to check something out. We've been doing something really cool um, with Six Figure Photography. We've got this guy, Michael. Uh, some of you guys have seen Michael over on YouTube, but Michael is... He is following around full time and producing video content for you. And so I just want to make a, a quick little invitation here. If you haven't gotten a chance to check out our YouTube channel, we're blowing it up. We're producing videos for you guys like almost every day. And I want to invite you to go check it out. It's just another opportunity to grow. And it's another place where you guys can leave comments and I can actually respond because you better believe I'm reading every single one of them. You guys, I'm really excited about today's episode of this podcast. Let's focus up on this right now. Uh, it was really cool actually in the pre-roll before we actually clicked to go live. Uh, I was talking to Blair here. I'll introduce him in just a second, but I was talking to Blair, today's guest, and he was asking a little bit about the audience. And I was like, man, Blair, like this is perfect. Like what, what we're going to talk about today is perfect for you guys. Uh, let me introduce you guys to Blair ends and you will quickly connect the dots to why it's perfect. Blair is the CEO of win without pitching. He teaches pricing strategies. You guys this is where it gets exciting. Like raising your prices in order to attract more leads. Like in order to try, this is, this is like everything. It's like raising prices and getting more clients in the door. Um, and this is something that I personally was jazzed about how putting prices on your website. Well, actually drive potential customers away. Blair is on a mission to change the way creative services are bought and they're sold all over the world. At Win Without Pitching, um, this is what he's up to. He offers sales training, coaching for creative professionals, and he shares his wisdom in the Win Without Pitching Manifesto. It's his book you guys got to check out. We'll get links in the show notes. And his most recent piece of work, you guys, Pricing Creativity. 
Let's welcome Blair. Blair, how are you, man? I'm pretty good, Ben. Thank you. I was thinking you were saying to your audience, um, yeah, maybe you're walking the dog. And I was thinking, yeah, I could, I, maybe I could walk the dog while I'm doing these interviews. That would be impressive. <laughs> Complete non sequitur. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think we're maybe a few years out from that. I think we're going to need that, that super reliable, like, um, uh, you know, like essentially what, like it's be like 6G internet, what, yeah. whatever they're going to call it on your phone. And I think then we can start doing this. Right now, we're still like tethering in, we're fiber opticing in to make sure that none of the, there's no audio errors on the podcast as it is. But that sounds like a beautiful world, man. Yeah, I'm locked into my studio here, completely focused on you and your audience. I'm really I looking love forward it. to this. I love it. So where are you out of? I'm in um, Caslow, British Columbia, Canada. And if you don't know where Caslow is, well, uh, join the large club because it's a population of about 900 people, a short nine-hour drive from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Very it's, cool. Uh, set between two mountain ranges on the shore of a 90 mile long lake in the middle in the middle of nowhere. I like this. Blair, you have an amazing voice. Can I tell you that? And this is this comes as no surprise to you. One thing I did not so you have your own podcast, the, uh, the Two Bobs, right? Yeah. Two Bobs podcast for con conversations on the art of uh well, can't even rem remember the side subtitle. Two Bobs conversations on the art of creative entrepreneurship. I love this. I absolutely love it. So how did you, how did you end up getting into this whole thing of like creative entrepreneurship? Have you always been an entrepreneur? Are you like one of those Gary Vee guys who was like, you know, peddling dirt to the neighborhood kids and selling it as Play-Doh? Uh, like, I what, am what so not like a Gary Vee on so many, all due respect to Gary Vee. I'm so unlike a Gary Vee. Um, and I've always, um, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart. My father was an RCMP officer. I'm in Canada and he, but he was this, um, he's still with us, but he was this, uh, the whole time he had this 25 year government job, he was always working on these other ideas and inventions and eventually started his own business on the side. And I think I caught the bug from him. So I've even, um, for the first, uh, dozen years or so I spent working, in the advertising and design professions, I, I really fancied myself as an entrepreneur and kind of knew eventually I would work for myself. So I grew up professionally in the advertising business um, on the, um, not on the creative side. I wasn't in the creative department, although I fancied myself a creative person. I wore a suit for a living. So I was in account management and then new business. Man. So then at what point did you step out on your own and uh, and really take this thing by the horns. Yeah, so it was around the turn of the century. I think it was around two thousand and one where I decided. I can't. P.S. By the way, I need to. Know, I can't wait till I get to say that. Uh, like in an interview, I'm gonna be like, well, you know, well, Blair, it was at the turn of the century when. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go, go yeah, ahead. That's I the had first time I'd that. ever used that phrase. I swear to God, I've never used that phrase before. But I realized it was because you know when when I was I'm fifty and when I was you know. Uh, younger when I was 40 or younger and if somebody said the turn of the century they meant the previous century um but no it was somewhere around 2001 I decided we my wife and I tripped over this beautiful little mountain village and I'm I, I was determined to find a way to move here and, and raise our family here and um so I launched win without pitching which was a consulting practice at the time um new business consulting for creative firms primarily design and advertising based firms uh, and then in the beginning of 2013, I decided largely for lifestyle reasons to kind of, I'm going to use a word I don't like, pivot, to pivot the business from uh, 
from a consulting practice where it was just me and a little bit of administrative s- support to a larger uh, training organization. So now we're a training company. We have been for the last five years and there are eight of us. I love it. Why don't you like the word pivot? It's just one of those overused words I find. Um, another one is unpack. I'll unpack this idea. And I'll, I'll almost certainly, now that I've planted, I've anchored that idea. I will almost certainly use this word and then cringe over the sometime over the next 60 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. So let, let's kind of rewind a little bit of all the things that I gravitated to. I decided to gravitate to why don't you like the word pivot? No, let's go back. Let's go back <laughs> to some of the meat of this. So when without pitching, um, where, where did um, where did some of your ideation come from when you stepped out and decided uh, to to start this consulting business? Yeah, so I think photographers who work uh, with ad agencies or design firms will kind of recognize the term "win without pitching," and maybe some of those who are just kind of thinking about moving out onto their own and haven't had the experience of working with those types of organizations don't don't really where the, the meaning to them isn't maybe immediately obvious. But the pitch in the creative profession, so in design and advertising-based professions, the pitch is part of the client-driven selection process or from our point of view, the sales process where you're lined up against your peers in a kind of an apples-to-apples comparison in a, in a, in a selection process that's essentially designed to commoditize your offering uh, and make you appear similar to your competitors so that they can drive your price down. And in that pitch, you're... You're asked to give your thinking away for free, or you're, you're, it's implied to you that it's in your best interest to give your thinking away for free. Um, and so that's the way when I grew up professionally in the advertising and then design professions, and I, at a very young age, I was assigned new business responsibility for the first firm that I worked at. Uh, that's how I was taught how to do it. You know, let's get um, work the phones, try to get. Uh, uh, you're, you try to get a meeting in the meeting, try to get invited to a pitch for a project or an account. And then you, once you get invited to a pitch, you kind of celebrate the fact that you're being invited to give your highest value product away for free. And then you proceed to solve the client's problem strategically and creatively as proof of your ability to solve their problem. And then you pitch this for free in hopes that they hire you. And then you get a bunch of the follow on work. Now, um, I don't know the photography business that we've got. I've we have photographers and photography based businesses in our training program, but I don't know that business as well as I know design businesses or advertising business, but I suspect the problem isn't, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but I suspect that problem of free pitching of giving your thinking away for free isn't as uh, deep or as pervasive in the photography space as it is in the design space. Well, let's kind of talk about that for a little bit. So, you know, is this kind of like spec work, like RFPs, yep. is that kind of fall into the category that you're referring to? Absolutely. Yeah, it's spec work. Yeah, so I think it, there's a large market, you know, there's a large demographic. I think commercial photographers 100% probably fall into this to some extent, especially when it comes to like campaigns, um, you know, marketing campaigns, all that. When we start going the route of like wedding photographers, it becomes interesting because I think it still does happen. Blair, I think there's just probably different ways that it, that it goes about. I mean, uh, there's a lot of strategies out there right now now um, in regards to essentially, you know, it's the concept of, of delivering value uh, to the, to the extent of hopefully winning the person over with the, with the value that you've shown up 
up front. Um, and so with weddings, I see a lot of free engagement sessions, you know, like maybe a bridal show, like, you know, there's a bridal fair and expo, um, and you know, sign up, you'll get a free engagement session. You throw, you do all the spec work essentially for the engagement shoot with hopes that the client then will actually hire you on for the full day. And that kind of falls maybe into a little bit of what you're talking about. Yeah. It sounds like a, like it could be a legitimate marketing advice. It also sounds like there might be a different ways to go about that. Um, because you tend with, a, with, uh, when you're leading with something free, you tend to attract people who maybe price buyers or be, maybe even those who aren't actually willing to separate with their money at all. hundred percent. Well, I think we can stay in the commercial route. Like I think, you know, a lot of times we are talking, you know, there's a lot of portrait photographers, a lot of wedding videographers who are, are wedding photographers and videographers who are listening, but there's a fair amount of, as well within this commercial space. Um, and I, I just get it. Like my background was actually in, in, in marketing, commercial video production, uh, doing branding, design, uh, TV spots, all that stuff. And, and the amount of times that we would, you know, do an RFP, we'd do spec work. We'd even, you know, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about, sit in, give our best ideas out there, uh, just to have uh, the, the client move on. And then oftentimes too, seeing some of those ideas appear in, <laughs> in, you know, in other materials elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> You're kind of like, wait, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Um, I, I totally get this. Um, yeah. So I think we're still onto something here. Okay, good. Well, let's keep going then. <laughs> so then, okay. Win without pricing revolution. This is what you talk about a lot. What is this? Yeah. Not win without pricing. That would be something else entirely, but it's win without pitching. <laughs> okay. Very good. Yeah. Cause I was curious. I, I wasn't sure if this was maybe a typo. Uh, while we're on this, by the way, we were talking about pricing in the, in the intro. I, I did bring up something that got me excited, how putting your prices on the website will actually drive customers away. Now, was that a typo on my end too? Or are we like, no. And that's, uh, We'll come to, I'll talk to about the win with a pitching revolution quickly. And then we should come back to that because there are certain types of businesses and even there'll be a distinction within the field of photography, certain types of businesses where it makes sense to put, or it might make sense to put some pricing guidance on your website. And then certain types of businesses where it absolutely wouldn't make sense. And it's, the distinction is whether yours is a customized service business or a productized service business. So let's come, let's come back to that. The win without pitching revolution is really the idea that was spawned by the book, The Win Without Pitching Manifesto, which came out in July of 2010. Um, that book came out and it's, um, I refer to it as the Yes You Can book. It's written in a manifesto tone. It's got 12 proclamations of a win without pitching firm. And it's not really about how not to pitch. It's really about how you should command the expert practitioner position in your buy-sell relationships with your prospective clients. So that book came out in 2010. It kind of sold like slowly and steadily, like nicely for for about four or five years. And then sales started to uh, go up and up and up. And now they sales effectively double roughly every 12 months for the last three years or so. So for a book that's um, next month, it will have been out for eight years. In the last four years, it's just on this growth curve. So there are over 20, not over, there's about 20,000 copies sold so far and climbing fairly quickly. For a, So for a, a little niche book designed for uh, the independent creative professional, 
um, that I think some people thought would kind of have a short life and then go away. It's a book that is doing what I always intended it to do. I, when I wrote this book, it's a, I intended it to be this, and it's even designed to look this way. It looks, it's timeless. The content is time, timeless. The, the look is timeless. And I, I sat down to write a book that I intended to outlive me and I wanted it to be in print long after I'm gone. And I just kind of saw this book circling the world and finding its way into the hands of every creative living creative professional on the planet. And I, that's a big goal. Every, it's certainly not going to hit every person. Um, but it's really doing what I intended it to do and it's served me well. And I've just met so many people over the years. I, travel a lot to speak who would would say i have your book or they so many people who just pulled it out of their bag and said i carry it with me um so that's been you know if i if my career ended now and i've and i had to kind of chalk up you know do an assessment of my of the impact that i've had versus what i wanted to have um i would be pretty happy with just the impact that that book has had and i think it's really just getting started that's awesome. So then you talked about the the timeless factor of it. I think that there's a lot of industries who believe that the, it's changing rapidly, uh, that with information age, with cell phones in every pocket, yeah. internet in every pocket, news businesses, especially in the creative field, uh, being opened every, every day, <laughs> like it feels like, um, that they, they, they have to compete in other ways. And this is where the pitch, this is where the RFP, this is where the spec work comes into play is being able to separate yourself or, or try to, to try to step in and, uh, and uh, whether it's undercut or, or provide the value first, what do you say to that individual? Well, I think in, and your audience in particular, like there probably is not a, a creative field that is being, uh, democratized and demonetized quicker than photography and film or video, because we've, you know, we've all got the, the, uh, equipment in our pockets and the quality of the equipment just keeps going up and up. Um, I just figured out my, um, I've had my iPhone 10 for, I, I don't know, six months or four, four or five months. And I just figured out portrait mode the other day and I took a photo of my cat and I could not believe the quality of the photo. So, and the challenge is whether, you, you know, you're a better photographer might look at it and go, well, come on, that's you, if you, you really need to go see a cat specialist photographer or whatever critique you might have of my photo. But that's, that's the point of view that, uh, that is carried by the masses, right? So everybody who's listening to this understands the incredible pricing pressure that is being put on photography and video work these days. So even though the book is timeless, technology drives changes and in particular changes in some very specific fields. So uh, web development, uh, any, any, anywhere um, design inter- intersects with technology and, you know, the equipment in, in photography is technology. And the te- so the technology is always, it's a field that's always going to have to react to technological changes. And I would say that, you know, the biggest challenge that I, the biggest struggle that I see, the biggest challenge that I see among my clients who are in, um, it's more on the video side, but the ones who kind of establish themselves as the leaders back in the big old equipment days, they're having a really hard time adjusting to the fact that some clients want nimble, they want small, um, and maybe they don't even want the the level of production values that, um, uh, 
that the that the provider of the service wants. So in in so you what you really have you you have this really broad field of entire broad spectrum of the quality that people expect and the prices that people are willing to pay. Um, and that's almost certainly true in the photography business. I would imagine that there are, again, without knowing too much about the space, I would imagine that there are photographers making a good living shooting photos from their iPhones. And I know, absolutely know what's happening in video. <clears throat> I know a lot of people in the training business like we are who shoot their videos on iPhones as we do. Um, so I, and if some people are sitting there thinking, wow, that's not like... Where portrait photography is not going to devolve to a camera phone. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. I think you may have just rubbed some people the wrong way, but I also think that you're right. Well, we <laughs> got to talk about these things, right? And I, I, if I'm if I'm wrong, I'm trying to predict the future. And if if um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, sure. But I'll be shocked if I'm wrong. So then, these technological changes, how does this affect the way that you sell, the way that you get clients in the door? Does it, or is it, are they separate issues? Yeah, I think so. This is it's great because this topic is really tied to pricing, and my latest book is called "Pricing Creativity: A Guide to Profit Beyond the Billable Hour." And it's really, um, and so if we if we just take you know a field like photography where the technology is changing and part of that change means kind of the de demonetization like it's it's putting downward pricing pressure on those people who use the technology to get to this outcome and in this case uh photograph so you've got this spectrum of technology or equipment that you might use and on the cheap end you've got maybe an iphone 10 with nothing else maybe an, a lens maybe a uh maybe a like a face maybe a uh, a simple tripod, not not even light, right? So on the on the inexpensive end, you can get into the game for about a thousand bucks. And then there's the people who want, you know, the, you know, there's a studio setup, there's the lighting, etc. But then there's the the super high end equipment for the aficionados, the people who really really appreciate um, what you can do with proper equipment. And so. On one end of the spectrum, of a, thousand, a, a photographer who has $1,000 invested in equipment can charge very little and serve a market where people don't want to pay these uh, portrait fees or sitting fees or, or however else the photographer is charging. We're going to come back to how photographers charge and how they should open that up. Um, but there's a whole like downstream market that if you're married to the old tech – you're ignoring that downstream market. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't ignore it. I'm saying you shouldn't ignore it because you don't, you look down your nose at it. You should recognize that there's a massive market opening up here. And if you decide to ignore it, you decide to ignore it after making a rational business choice and coming up with reasons why it logically, not emotionally makes sense for you to ignore it. Just as some people are going to get into that lower end space because they just don't have the money to spend on the higher end equipment, right? So they're going to ignore the high end. So we just have to accept that the market is essentially broadening out, that the technology is causing that, and it's broadening out the prices that people are willing to pay, a whole lot of people want to pay a whole lot less and then there's still a bunch of people and it's probably going to change with time. That group will get smaller, but there's still a bunch of people who will pay that like disproportionate, a, 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 
a premium that's really significant, significantly disproportionate to the kind of the increase in quality. And what I mean by that is when you get to really higher end, let's just say products, like if to go from a Cartier watch to a Rolex watch, you know, let's say you're at $20,000 and then you go to $50,000 from a car. And I'm just guessing here, I don't own either of those. I don't wear a watch. Um, but the, um, you go up a huge amount of money just to get a small at the high end of a market. Your the price goes up significantly just to get a small gain in quality, and the quality might be actual the quality of the product, or it might be the prestige you get from the brand. But on that high end of the market, people are willing to pay a whole lot more to get something that's just a little bit better than what other people are getting. So this begins to. Uh, so I- as I as I see it, I see the market. You said you use, you use the term broadening. I'd almost see it like polarizing. Like the blacks are blacker and the whites are whiter, and there's less room in the middle for gray. Like the high end market stays and it goes even further that way, and and the middle almost has to go one way or the other. I think the middle is where it's it's maybe most dangerous. Do you agree? I don't know. I may have thought about this differently, but one of the rules in my book, Pricing Creativity. I've got six rules for pricing creativity. And one of them is always offer options. And so when you're offering options to your clients, you want to have, you typically you want to present three options. So three is better than two. Four is still better than two. The reason you want to have more than two is there's this principle called extremeness aversion, where when presented with choices, people tend to uh, avoid the risky ones on the ends and head toward the middle. Everyone's the middle class. Everyone's the middle class. Yeah. So I think when you're crafting your options to your client, it's usually the middle where the client ends up on average. And therefore, your middle option should be your highest margin option or should maybe not necessarily your highest margin, um, but it's a high margin option. So when you think of the low end stuff, like let's say you had a client who had a, a re, what you considered to be a really small budget. And I, I don't know what that is, but maybe it's a, a wedding and it's, they say, we've got a thousand dollars. You tell me, is that a small budget for a wedding? To me, that yeah. is. Um, and, and you think you need um, 5,000 to shoot the wedding properly. Uh, and you put forward some options, you might lead with the expensive option that's say it's $7,500 and that's known as the anchor. And that's another rule of pricing is anchor high. We can come back and talk about how that works, but you start with the high anchor of 7,500, <clears throat> then you present the $5,000 option and then you still present the $1,000 option. The $1,000 option is, it might be as simple as my cousin will shoot it on my iPhone. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit glib here. Um, uh, but when you lead with the anchor option, you lead with the most elaborate one, you get them focused on the value that you would create. You think forward in the future, you're looking back at your wedding photos and you're re you've recaptured everything. And there's nothing in the photos that makes you think, Oh, I wish that wasn't there. Like I think of my own wedding photo and there's a photo of my wife and I seated in a place. We were seated in a place that was horrible as far as the photos go. And there's a, I'm leaning in to kiss my beautiful bride and right in between us behind us, there's a big no exit sign. (laughs) So I'm my, for the rest of my memories, when we go back and look at those photos, there's always this no exit sign. uh, That's that I think, ah, I wish the photographer had 
you know, in the setup of the wedding. I, I wish the photographer would have advised, advised us on how to deal with that and how to create a better backdrop. So, it's very, I mean, it's very like, it's a foreshadowing. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a one woman person. I'm in this for the long haul, but the like, you know, this reminder that no exit, it's just, it's ironic, but at the high end. So when you're, when you're trying to, when you're leading with your most expensive auction option and you're painting the picture of what it is that the client's buying, you're maybe taking them into the future and say, saying, okay, it's your 10th anniversary. Imagine it's your 10th anniversary. You're sitting, looking over your wedding photos and you're, you're reliving the, uh, uh, the beautiful moments of the day and everything is wonderful. And what you, what you're not doing, <clears throat> what you're not ex- experiencing is you're not looking at a photo and go, Oh, it's, you're not reminded of the things that went wrong. You're not staring at a no exit sign. You're not looking at, Oh, what's so-and-so doing in that photo? Because every, all of the memories are captured beautifully. So you lead and, and to do that, we have to get in early. We have to set up, we have to scope the, um, environment we've got to maybe alter some of the ways make recommendations on where things get set up etc we've got to establish the positions and we've got to use the right equipment and all of these things and the price is seventy five hundred dollars now you said you want to spend a thousand dollars and a thousand dollars on the low end i'll shoot it on my iphone 10 takes very good photos i'm going to show up 30 minutes before and I'll be gone as soon as it's over and I'll send you a Dropbox folder of all the images afterwards. And so those are, those are just two examples of you painting um, a picture of the extremes, 7,500 on one end, 1,000 on the other end. And in most cases, the client will end up somewhere in the middle. So that's where you have to get creative about what do you, what can you step down? Can you, can you step down from the 7,500 or can you step up from the 1,000? And what's the option in the middle that they're most likely to choose after wanting to avoid what they might see as the exorbitant expense of the anchor and wanting to uh, avoid all of the things that could go wrong with you showing up 30 minutes before with your iPhone? Podcast listeners, I apologize for interrupting the interview, but I just I have to give a shout out to two big supporters of the industry, two big supporters of the SFP podcast. And so I'm going to be brief here. The first is the Giphy booth. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, it is essentially a photo booth, but it is a modern, fresh, uh, new take on a photo booth. It makes animated GIFs and photographs. Now, here's the deal. I'm a working wedding photographer. I am not a photo booth owner. And I want you guys to understand this. This is perfect. If you are a photographer first, out shooting events, uh, portraiture, that type of thing, this booth is amazing because it requires so little work. Like I've I've had other photo booths. I still own another photo booth, but the Giphy booth is the thing that I love because I just get to set it up in under five minutes. It it's like a it's the size of like a laptop bag essentially. Um, it automates everything once you're done with an event. Uh, it's such an easy upsell. And one of the great things about it is because it takes so little overhead to actually run uh, an event that I essentially get to pass that savings on to my client. And so I can I can charge less for it, do more events and remain so much more stress-free. It also has like built-in marketing tools. You guys just need to check it out. It is called the Giphy Booth. Go check it out at giphy.com, G-I-F 
yyy.com, three Y's, G-I-F-Y-Y-Y.com. By the way, use the coupon code SFP2017 for some dope discounts. Maybe just mention my name, dude. You know, Ben Hartley, SFP2017 uh, is the code uh, to go check this thing out. I own one and I promise you I'm buying another this year as well. Next up on my thank you list is Freedom Edits. You guys, look, the end of the day, you can't grow your business if you are doing everything. It's just a, it's a fact that we all have to face. And to have somebody who's doing the bulk editing, by the way, when I say bulk editing, like I get to still, you get to still choose to edit the photographs that you want to edit, the beautiful portfolio shots, the stunning bridal portraits, whatever it is that you get excited about, please keep editing that. But all of the bulk stuff that slowly kills your soul please go check out Freedom Edits and have them take care of it because they're going to give you consistent results with personal touch. This is the thing. It's the personal touch. Like the intentional decisions that that uh, Freedom Edits, by the way, in-house editors, not like outsourced, in-house editors make, I freaking love because they're actually making intentional creative decisions and not just doing these like robotic choices where you get images back and you're like, why did they expose for that? They like, like any normal creative would have understood that there was an off-camera flash and and done this right. Freedom Edits will do it right, you guys. I freaking love them. Go check out Freedom Edits. By the way, uh, it's freedomedits.com forward slash Ben Hartley. That's where you need to go. Freedomedits.com forward slash Ben Hartley. They're going to give you the first full wedding free, you guys. Again, just mention my name, Ben Hartley. They're going to give you the first full wedding free. Like, do you want to save a couple days this week? Then go do this right now. Freedomedits.com forward slash Ben Hartley. All right, let's get back to the show. How come, um, can, can we actually, uh, I was going to ask another question, but now I'm still wanting to go back because I think we started to, to, to discuss this a little bit in regards to this direction of knowing what you sell, kind of being aware of the game that you're playing in regards to, are you going to go the lower end um, versus are you going to go for this kind of carefully crafted um, personal touch? Is this where we get into the question of pricing on your website? Yeah, so pricing on your website is... Uh if um <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to mentally translate this into the photography space before i get into it but i i mentioned earlier there's really um you can think of your business in one of two ways it's a customized service business and if it's a customized service business then every client is a blank slate of opportunity and you will have a small number of clients at any one time or it's a productized service business where you are pursuing infinite scale. So as an example, when I was a solo consultant, mine was a customized service business. And I could really only work with three, maybe four clients at any one time at given stages of the consulting relationship. Um, and as a productized service business, we have about 100 firms in our training program right now. And then we have other workshops that we do. It's a productized service business is infinitely scalable. When And I think most photographers fit into the first with occasionally some fitting into the latter uh, and maybe not infinitely scalable, Blair, but, you know, portrait photography is certainly far more scalable than weddings. You know, 55 weekends in a year for weddings. Um, and obviously even that you can begin to scale out as you begin on to yeah. bring on more photographers in a studio. But I would say large in part, we're going more that route of, of 
we'll, we're, we'll go ahead and, and maybe baby let's say handholding our clients. Yeah. So if you, like, if you're getting into the photography business and you're, um, or, or you're just trying to get into it full time, I would encourage you to think of your business as a customized service business, because the mistake that I see in the creative agency, like design and advertising based agencies, mostly design based and mostly online marketing based firms. The mistake that I see is them being stuck in this mushy middle between productized and customized where you're a customized service business, but you start to productize and this is going to start to sound familiar to wedding photographers. And you start to customize by you put together these packages and then you put the packages on your website. Now, that's how you price and sell if you are infinitely scalable. You're basically segmenting your entire market and saying, I've got some people who value these high-end services and were willing to pay X. I have others at the other end of the spectrum who want the cheapest possible price. So I'm going to put this package together and we'll call it Y. And then there's the people in the middle who value these things. And so it's a different package at a different price. So you might have three, maybe even four different levels and of things that they can buy. And that works for a SaaS company, software as a service business. It works for other, it works for airlines. Um, it works for hotels, uh, but it doesn't work for consultants and it doesn't work for independent creative professionals who have this capacity, who have a finite capacity to work with clients. So if that's you, and it probably almost certainly is you, unless you already own a large uh, photography studio with multiple photographers and you keep, and you're okay with downward pricing pressure on the, on your offering. Um, but when you're when you're starting out, you should really think of this as a customized service business. As every client, uh, every client values different things. It's the first rule in my book of, of price and creativity. The first rule is to price the client, not the job, because of this principle known as the subjective theory of value. Everybody values different things differently, and even at different times. So, if I said to you, you know, what do you charge for? Uh, what do you charge for to shoot a wedding? You shouldn't be able to answer that if you follow the first rule of pricing creativity, because it really depends on who the wedding is for and what they value um, in their ultimate wedding photography um, outcomes. So, and and that's how, as a cust owner of a customized service business, you should go into every sale sitting down and being intently focused on intensely focused on the client saying, what is it that you want? Let's, let's say it's five years from now in the future, your wedding's gone swimmingly. You're going through the, the images of your wedding. Explain to me what you see, what needs to be true for you to be happy. And then based on what you get back from that client and based on uh, other variables that you want to cover in the sale, then you come back and, and put together a package specifically for that client. And so the package is, your packages should differ from a client to client. Therefore, your prices should differ from client to client. Now, if you Shouldn't there be groundwork though? Like uh, let's, let's go ahead and call it maybe like an a la carte menu, so to speak, that has... Uh, you know, it's like where, where the data is being pulled from the variables that you're actually using. Um, an a la carte menu based on your costs, you mean? Uh, well, based on a number of things, cost being one factor, 
Um, but also not undervaluing, you know, just simple supply and demand, you know, that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. So I, you know, not undervaluing yourself. That's, you're going to have to decide on the, uh, on the threshold at which it does not make sense for you to take on a client. So you might, I asked before, you know, is it, how's a thousand dollars? You might decide that, you know, you're not going to shoot any wedding for under $5,000 or 10,000, or maybe it's a thousand, maybe it's 500, whatever that number is for you, you should decide on what that threshold is. So you should never be in this position where you're offering to do something that isn't worthwhile to both parties. But the point is, um, if you get the client focused on, if you, the the challenge with the is with quasi productizing your services is you start making all these assumptions about what's important to the client. I've got and so instead of being um, intensely focused on the client and her needs, you basically say, "Well, I've got three different packages. Which one would you like?" And there are certain situations in your life where you're happy to just pick a package and pay the package price, but I can guarantee you, your wedding isn't one of them. When, when sure. you're yeah, when a that. bride is buying something for the biggest day of her life, she wants the person she's thinking of buying that something from to sit down and say to her, "Let's talk about what you want." And that's, I don't have any standard packages. I want to hear what you want. I want to hear what's important to you. And then once I have all of that information, I'm going to give you three different ways that you can hire me for three different ways to do this and three different prices. And then the choice is going to be yours. So it's, um, it's uh, people think that value-based pricing, pricing based on the value that you deliver rather than your than your the cost of your inputs or the market value in air quotes of your service people think that value based pricing is about charging it's about charging more and it's not charging more is just a delightful consequence the goal of value based pricing is to create an organization and recognize for most of those people listening that's just you um, that is uh, intensely focused on delivering extraordinary value for the client. And as soon as you start to put together packages and say, I've got package A, B, or C, which one do you want? You are no longer doing that. You're more focused on what it is that you'd like to deliver. I'll show up, deliver package B, and then I'm out of there. And again, I guarantee you that a bride thinking, purchasing something for her wedding day does not want to buy a package. She wants to sit across the table from somebody who's and she wants the feeling that this person is trying to find a way to deliver exactly what I want. That's what she wants. And that's what you should be delivering. How do you end up um, presenting those? So let's say, you know, with usually, a, you know, a, a, a consultation, a meeting, whatever, you're in person, you're understanding, you're essentially discovering, discovering what they value, what they want, what they need. And then... How are you, how would you recommend you actually, once you'd spend the time and you create these custom collections, um, to actually present them to them? Yeah. So it starts out with, uh, initial conversation. And so I don't want to belabor this, but like in our training program, we, we teach our clients to think of the sale as a series of four conversations. And so that's probably too elaborate for this audience. But the third conversation in the sale is known as the value conversation. And these conversations don't have to be 
they don't have to be kind of discrete. They can all blend into each other. Um, but in the value conversation, there's a simple framework for it. And the first, uh, it's a four-step framework. And the first step is to determine what it is that the client wants or, or how we say in the program, commit the client to their desired future state. It doesn't matter what you're selling. You're selling to somebody a desire, a better version of themselves, their desired future state. So your first step is to uncover that. And so you, un- you uncover it through um, questions around, like I've got a favorite question. There's actually an entire book written on this question. It's called the Dan Sullivan question. And it's it goes by different names, the R factor question, the three-year question. And I'll, I'll give it to you in the kind of the standard format. It's three years from today, Ben you and I are having coffee and you're really happy. What has to have happened for you to be so happy? And so I would have you modify that and say, it's five years after, if you're selling wedding photography, it's five years after your wedding, you and I are really, you and I are having coffee. You're really happy. What has to have happened for you to be really happy? And that's a really broad open-ended question. That's one of the reasons why it's so powerful. The answerer, the client brings the context to the question. There's an implied context. And the implied context is you have hired me as your wedding photographer. So I would say, we're looking at your wedding photos and you're really happy. What has to have happened for you to be really happy? And then, so another reason that's powerful is you're putting her into the future and having her describe success. And she is now achieving the emotional benefits of of having achieved this success, if that makes sense. And that's one of the tricks of these forward uh, facing questions. Um, Now, and then you take good notes. So it's a, it's, it's a very powerful question um, because those two reasons it's open-ended, it puts her into the future looking back and then she will describe to you everything that she wants. And then you take good notes. In fact, I would suggest that for your audience, you probably record it. And then you ask any follow-up questions, any questions that kind of, you just go where you think it needs to go to, the conversation needs to go to for you to clarify the situation. And you pull out of her that vision of not just the day, but what was captured. And then you're, you're going to uncover all kinds of different things. If you, you'll be blown away by the power of the question. You'll be uncover all different, all kinds of different things. And then I'm just going to ignore the, the, um, I just go over quickly the other steps. Then it's like, how will we, step two is how will we know we've achieved that? And step three is what's the value of that? And step four is to set pricing guidance. So let's just kind of skip to step four. And so if I, in re in step one, if I re if I just, um, capture and replay back to the client, okay, if I've heard you correctly, you want, you want all of these things to be true. You want these images, you want this type of clarity, you want this type of video, you want these types of shots you want. Here's what you, you don't want your drunk uncle, like, you know, all, whatever you uncover in these kinds of conversations. Um, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Have I missed anything? No. Okay. And then, and then um, 
you could say, well, what's what's the value of this to you? And that's a, that gets a little bit tricky in this context. But then you let's say you jump to price guidance and say, okay, so to do all of these things, I have some initial ideas. I'm going to come back to you with three different options or with a bunch of different options, different packages, different prices based on everything that you've told me. And it's going to be in a price range of Y to X. And Y is the high number and X is the low number. And then stop and say nothing. So it might be 5,000 to 2,500. And then if, if there's just, if, if you can't stand the silence, just say, how does that price range sound? And if she says, it sounds high. Okay, what were you thinking? Well, well, I, um, maybe 2,000 on the high end. Okay, so you want solutions in the 2,000, let's say she says 3,500 on the high end. Okay, I'll come back with solutions in the 3,500 to 2,000 range. How does that sound? That sounds good. Okay, so then you go away and now what you've done is, first of all, you've focused on what the client wants and values. Then you've set a price range. Mm -hmm. Now... For the first time, you start thinking about what you would do. So what you're doing is you're setting a price, you're uncovering the desired future state and you're setting a price range first. And this is backwards from how almost every photographer works. You usually go in with ideas of, well, here are the packages, which one would you like? And here you're focused on the client, you're setting a price range, you get some feedback from the client once you offer that range. And then you go away and you think, okay, well, I've got 3,500 on the high end and she wants all of these things to be true. What package could I put together for $3,500 where all of these things are true? And how would I do this? And then on the low end, you've got $2,000. And uh, what would she have to give up for $2,000? So when you come back with your three options, really your um, you could decide that uh, when you're assembling your options that you can't, she can't get what she wants for $3,500. So you still have the freedom to present the $5,000 solution. Your obligation though, is to give her at least one thing in the range that she essentially signed off on. Right? So you might say, listen, um, all of these things that you wanted aerial shots or whatever they were, um, uh, for us to do these, it's uh, it's really going to it's going to cost more than what we talked about. So I'll present that option first, and then I'll sh- I'll share you I'll share with you the options that are in the budgets that we talked about. And then you lead with the high anchor, and you talk about all of the great outcomes that you would deliver with the high anchor, and then you go to the lower priced ones. Now the anchor is this is Nobel Prize winning science. The idea of anchoring and adjusting the idea that the first piece of information that you deliver on a topic, and we're talking about price. So the first piece of information is a number, is a price, skews the ultimate decision. So we anchor high with a really high number, and we talk about all of the outcomes associated with that number. And then if the client says, "Yeah, okay, that's sounds wonderful, but I can't afford it," then you go to the other options. The anchor price is not there to sell the anchor option. It's there to make the other options look more affordable. I love this. I have one, I've, man, this is, by the way, Blair, I just want to hear you keep, like maybe, do you have an audio version of your book? Can I just listen to you like explain all this stuff? This is so good. Um, you've got so much value to give. I've got one more question. And unfortunately, we've got to wrap with this question. This is a good one though. How do you prevent 
yourself from going back and just pulling stuff, uh, like throwing darts at a board to figure out your pricing. Because it sounds like what you're saying is, yes, create. It, it's a it's a custom thing that you're doing. Um, but like, how how do you have a framework in mind that becomes the, the well, basis? Well, then when you business? go back, that now you start looking at your costs, right? So the idea is, you you should have a price first before you address your costs. And which is the opposite of the way most photographers price because you, the way it's typically done and in most creative professions is you do some sort of assessment of your cost and you might tie that to an hour of your time, but wrapped up in that as an assumption of how many hours you're going to sell over the year and the cost of your equipment, how much profit you want, et cetera. And you would say, well, I have, like, I have to, if somebody pushes back on the price of one of your packages, you would say, well, you would say this to the client or almost certainly to yourself, well, I have to charge that much money. I'm losing money below that. And really the way you should be working is if the, if the client's trying to beat you up on an option, on a option B, because it's too much money, they're just saying, you know, I only have this much money. What, what can I get for that? And so to have these prepackaged options doesn't make sense. And so the way I modeled it out, you've, you're always going to put three options in front of the client, but you're going to you're going to frame those. You're going to bundle and unbundle and package those options and price those options differently for every single client because every client values something different. And you should see it as your job to kind of play detective and to go in and instead of selling a package like be as focused on the client as you can and just tell yourself there's there's something about this bride she wants something different from everybody else and i'm going to find out what it is she or not just want something different there are things that you think you know are just kind of table stakes that she might think this is the most important thing to me of all and and you go in assuming and this is one of the problems with selling packages. We're always make us, making assumptions about what the client values and we're making assumptions about how much risk they're willing to take and how much risk they want us to go away. So that's another point. Generally speaking, the higher your prices, the more risk you're taking, you're making go away. And just think on a, on a, a woman's wedding day, how much risk is she willing to take and how much risk is she willing to pay somebody to make go away? She's willing to pay a, a high premium to mitigate against risk. Yep. I agree with that hundred percent, man, Blair, this is, this is really exciting. This is some fun stuff that I imagine uh, photographers are going to want to dig into um, and really contrast and kind of have a, have a moment here where they really take a look at how they're structuring stuff um, and evaluating it. Look, where can people find uh, both of your books, like win without pitching uh, and then as well, pricing creativity, where can people find you, find you online? Yeah, So there are links to both sites on my website, winwithoutpitching.com, but you can get the win without pitching manifesto at, at Amazon. And you can only get pricing creativity at our website. The the easiest way to find that book is go to pricingcreativity.com and that'll redirect to a page on our website, winwithoutpitching.com. And you asked if I had an audio version of the book. I don't of the pricing book. I don't, but I have, it is available in a video format. It's five 
basically webcasts of me talking through the key principles of the book. And I, I expect that most people just listen to that rather than watch it. Blair, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Go make an audio yeah. version. The problem is for the video <laughs> version of the book, I charge $320. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Blair, this has been really fun, man. I appreciate you on the show. Thank you so much. No, it's been my pleasure, here. Ben. Thank you for having me. Listeners, uh, thank you so much for, for uh, look, committing yourselves to this episode, uh, for tuning into Blair. I think what he's talking about is really interesting, really exciting, and really revolutionary for, for our industry. And I want to encourage you guys to check this stuff out. Uh, at the very least, evaluate it. Let me know in the comments what you guys think. Shoot me a, a DM at Hartley over on Insta. Let me know what you think. Uh, you can ping Blair with that as well. Um, you guys... Uh, Once again, I really appreciate you and we will see you on the next episode of the SFP podcast. Mm -hmm.